title, Greatness, I, I started to look at our country, and, and there's so many things that I wanted to write down, but uh, I just decided I can't write everything that I want to write down. Uh, we'll be here forever acknowledging the people that live their lives wanting to be great, wanting to do something great, feel great, and, and that's the truth. That's the reality of the days that we live in, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. You'll see what I'm talking about. We live in a, in a time where many people want to be great, where many people want to, they want to look great and they want to feel great, okay? Like I said, there's nothing wrong with this. Um, I started to look at some facts, and I'll, I'll just give you two estimated, I guess you would say. Just last year in the United States, there were over 14 0.6 million cosmetic plastic surgery procedures. A few years ago, it was reported that Americans spent $10.4 billion on these surgeries. When it comes to dieting, the annual revenue of the United States for dieting, it says the weight loss industry, including diet books and diet drugs and so on, is up to $20 billion. The number of people on diets in the United States is estimated to about 108 million people. And I look at those things, and I'm not saying that, that these things are bad. So don't ever say, oh, I can't. I'm not even going to get into that. I, I could care less about that. But the point is that there's, it's obvious. People want to feel good, man. People want to look good. And it's not bad to want to look great and feel great and be great. And I'm not saying that if you took any of these avenues or other avenues uh, to be great and feel great and look great, um, shame on you. I'm not saying that at all, at all, at all, at all. But what I do want to make a point and come across to tell you is this, that I could obviously save you time and I could save you money and I could save you from worry and I could save you from stress by giving you the answer of that one question today or maybe those three questions of how can I be great, how can I feel great, and how can I look great? Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us that, that we are the work of his hands. Amen. We're the work of God's hands. Actually, in Psalm uh, chapter 139, Psalm 139 tells us, listen to this, that he has shaped us and he has formed us and he has made us marvelously and that he knows every bone in our body that bit by bit he knew how we were made, that he sculpted us from nothing into something. That's, that's pretty amazing. That makes me feel good that God thought about me in such detail. How many of you can say amen? In Hebrews chapter 4, we'll, you could turn there or we'll put them up on the screen, but you should still turn there. I'm going to read verses 14, 15, and 16. Look what it says. It says, we have a great high priest who has entered heaven. It's Jesus, the Son of God. And he says, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses. He faced all of the same testings that we do, and yet he did not sin. Look at 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of, the, of gracious God, of our gracious God, and there will, in, in that throne, we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Like, this is who we are before Jesus. So what are you trying to say with these three passages? What I'm trying to tell you that the answer to your greatness is none other than Jesus Christ, your Lord. That's the definition of greatness. Jesus is it. In Jesus, you will feel great. In Jesus, you will look great. And in Jesus, listen, church, you will be great. 
In Jesus, you will. Uh, if you're taking notes, write this down. Your greatness is found in Christ. And I want you to read that throughout the week. And I want you to remember that. If, if you're looking for any kind of greatness in your life, it's found in Jesus. Your greatness is found in Christ. I want to relook at a story that I probably spoke about about a year ago. And I taught on it, and I won't teach on it so detailed in such a detailed way, but I want to go over some, some verses with you. It's found in Numbers chapter 13. In the book of Numbers, it's very interesting. The children of Israel have been wandering and wandering and wandering in the wilderness. And as they've been wandering, they've been trying to get to this place that was promised to them. Anyone know the name of the place? The right promised land. And as they're trying to get to the promised land, their lack of faith and their lack of commitment, what should have taken 11 days, took them 40 years, and really it was their children that walked in. They didn't even get the ability to walk in because of their stubbornness. But in Numbers 13, verses 1, 2, and 3, it says this. Look, look with me here. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, and he said to Moses, Send men to spy out this land. Okay, watch this. The land that I've promised you, right? I'm giving it to you, to your children of Israel. Look what he says. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. Verse 3. So Moses sent them from the wilderness, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were the heads of the children of Israel. So we look at verses 1, 2, and 3 in Numbers chapter 13. And what do we see here? We see this, that God is promising Moses and his people a great land. Amen? And when he promises them this great land, he says, now go and spy it. Go and check it out for yourselves. Go spy on the land that I'm giving to you. When I started to read verses 1, 2, and 3 again, it reminded me what God was doing. For 40 years, they were living in destruction. They were, I mean, it was poor living in a intense and in, in the desert and in wilderness, and it wasn't a good lifestyle. And they got to a point of their life where God said, enough. We're almost there once and for all. It's just right over these mountains. Send some spies to go check out the land that I've promised you, okay? I read that and I said, I get what God is doing here. And what God is doing was, he was trying to move Moses and the children of Israel into a place of greatness. And he was trying to do it for years. But for many years, they were not accepting the greatness that God had promised them. And here they are now. And God looks at Moses, and it's almost as if he's telling Moses, Moses, enough with the wilderness. Enough with this desert and sun-beating, tent-living, wasteful, traveling lifestyle. Moses, I'm, I'm in a place now where I'm going to move you into a place of greatness. Where, listen, where things are certain where things are beautiful, where there is structure, where there is blessing, where there is hope for you and your generation and the generations that come from you. I'm going to move all of you into a place of greatness. Everyone get with, everyone understand what's happening. 
So Moses begins to tell the people, okay, you and you and you and not you, but you. Go out and spy the land. Watch this. Go to verse 17 with me and we'll read up to verse 20. Verse 17 through 20. It says, Then Moses sent to them to spy out the the land, and he said to them, Go up this way into the south. Go up to the mountain. Look at verse 18. And see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. 19, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad. Whether the cities that they inhabit are camps or strongholds. Whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage. Bring some of the fruit of the land. And now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. It was time to bring fruit. So I read verses 17, 18, 19, and 20. And as we read it together, what's happening here? They were sent out to see the greatness of that land. Moses was saying, God promised us something great. Go spy and check if it's really great. I mean, first off, that's a mistake. You should have just closed your eyes, blindfolded, and walked into it because God said it and it was great. You should not even question God, right? But he questions God because Moses is really good at that. And so are we. So he sends them over and he says, I want you to see if the land is great like they say it is. So, so here goes these, these band of men, Moses' men, leaders of Israel. And they go see the land of Canaan. And as they go see the land, verse 26 says, and we're going to go to 26 and 27. Check this out. Now they departed and they came back to Moses and Aaron and the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness. And they brought back word to them and to the congregation and they showed them the what? The what? The fruit of the land. Basically that the land was what? It was great. It was good. It was great. Let's keep reading. So then they told Moses. And they said, Moses, we went to the land where you sent us. Look what he says. It truly flows with milk and honey. And here's its fruit right before your eyes. Proof of how great this land is. They come back in love with this land that they found. It's rich. It flows with milk and honey. It really does, Moses. It's, it's fruitful. Look at the fruit. There's, there's nothing but greatness there. And you could almost see Moses smiling, can you? You could almost see Aaron and hitting Moses in the ribs because he's the brother. And he's like, I told you. I told you you should have listened to me. You, you should have done that. We should have gone this route a long time ago. And Moses is, is hitting Aaron back and says, shut up. You're so annoying, you know, like brothers do. And you could almost see them excited, filled with joy because they found a great land. Finally, they don't have to live in tents and they don't have to live in wilderness. They don't have to always be worried about predators and all these different things. They, they could actually find a place of security where there is nothing but blessing, where it's a great land and we could become great people in such a great place. Amen. And they're all excited. And they're planning. Okay, pack your bags. Let's tell everyone. Let's get everything ready to go. Uh, let's tell all the children. Let, let, let's get all, the, all, all our things together. And, and let's move already. We're, we're ready for the move. But as they're preparing to pack up and go, guess what one of the spies does? Wait a minute, one second. Before you go, i got to talk to you about one last thing I saw in this great land. You guys ready? Everyone, go to verse 28 and 29. 
He says this. Um, I know you guys want to get going, and I know you guys want to move into this great land, Moses, Aaron. And I, want, I know you want to take millions of people with you. But before you put all those millions of people into this great land, let me tell you what I saw. Not only did I see fruitful land, great land, but watch this. Look at verse 28. Nevertheless, uh, there's people who dwell there. Yeah, it's occupied. There's people there. Moses like, what? I thought you said it was good. It is good, but there's people there. Look what he says. And the people who dwell in the land, they're what? Yeah, they're strong. I like that translation. They're giants, man. Like, have you seen us, Moses? We are short. They are tall and big, and we are skinny and short, and these guys could beat us. Watch this. Watch this. They're strong, and, and the cities are fortified. They're strong. They're very large cities. Verse 29, he begins to tell Moses and Aaron who's there. It's your enemies, Moses. It's our enemies. It's the Amalekites that dwell there. It's the Hittites. It's the Jebusites. It's the Amorites. It's our enemy. Doesn't that stink? You know what I'm saying, right? You get invited to the party like, well, they invited me to the party. And you're so excited because you made the cut. And you show up to the party, to the get-together, to the restaurant. You show up and you're just, and, you're, and then you sit and you look in the, in the table like, oh, my God, they invited them. I can't walk in. And you see your enemy across the table, or you see someone that, that really doesn't like you, or you don't like them, and, and how am I going to have a nice night? And, and here are these people, and here is Moses and Aaron, and they're saying everything is great, and Moses and Aaron are super excited, and they're like, yay, let's go. And they're like, wait a minute, before you go, there's um, some people there who are very strong, much bigger than us. Their cities are very large, meaning they have a big army. Um, you might want to consider what you're saying here. And they begin to tell Moses and Aaron who's there. It's all of your enemies. All of your enemies. All of your enemies. So in verses 26 and 27, greatness is found. But while greatness is found in the next verses, verses 28 and 29, but while greatness is found, there's a problem to enter into such greatness. I hope you guys are starting to catch this now. See, our enemies made this their land. They're big, they're strong, and their cities are big and strong. I want you to write this down in your notes, and you need to know this for the rest of your life, I promise you. Church, nothing that is great will ever come easy. Nothing. And here are these people of God that were promised this land from God. And when they go to see it, they say, this is the most beautiful piece of land that I have ever seen. It is great indeed. But while they're saying how great it is, they go back to Moses and say, not only is it great, but there's a problem with the greatness of that land. That those who occupy it are stronger and bigger and they're our enemies. They actually hate us. And I started to read that. And I just started to remember things of my life and some of the things in your lives. And think about some of the things that have become great in your life. Some of those things that are great in your life were never achieved unless, unless you went through some sort of difficulty. Amen? Nothing great will come easy to you. You might have to work hard for it. You might have to suffer for it. Listen, if greatness came easy to us, it wouldn't be so great, would it? The reason why it's so great 
It's because what you went through to receive that which you have now. Man, you know I'm saying the truth. Because when things are, uh, story time. When things are placed on your lap, it's not as good as when you work for it. Perfect example. My wife's birthday just passed. True story. She's not here, so I'm going to say this. She's in the back. But for a month, tell me what you want for your birthday. I don't know. For three weeks, tell me what you want for your birthday. I don't know. It got to two weeks, tell me what you want for your birthday. I don't know. To the week of, tell me what you want for your birthday. I don't know. A couple days before her birthday, I'm at work. Tell me what you want for your birthday. And the text came. Rigo, every year, I put it on your lap. And I tell you what I want. But this year, I'm not putting anything on your lap. You're going to have to work for it. And you're going to have to figure out what it is that I want. It's the worst thing. Women, listen, that's the worst thing you could ever do to your husband. And all the men say, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. That's hard. And I was all excited. I even had my students tell me. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm scared of heights. Like, I'm going to go skydiving because she's always wanted to do it again. And she wants to skydive. And the gift is not going to be skydiving, but it's that her husband is going to sacrifice to go skydiving with her. When she sees that I bought a ticket for me, she's going to be like, you're going to go and all this. I ended up buying her something else. <laughs> when she opens the gift, I said, okay, I'm going to tell you now what I really was going to get you. And I thought she was going to say, you should have done it because then I was going to buy it that same night and surprise her. Like, I was going to go skydiving with you. I was going to buy us both tickets. And she looks at me and she goes, are you kidding me? She goes, don't you ever do that. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? You've always said you wanted to go again. You've always said you wanted to do this. She said, yes, I'm getting older now, and I don't know how I feel about jumping off a plane anymore. I think it's because she became a mom and all that. And I said, oh, okay, but I didn't get it, so it's okay. Do you like the gift? And it was a mess. I drove my students crazy. I had them all around my desk. Come on, help me pick this gift. You think she's going to like skydiving? And I started to pump myself up. I could do it. I could jump off a plane, baby. And thank God I didn't get her that. I got her something else that I saw she would always walk through this store, and I said, oh, I love this. I love this, but don't you ever get it because it's too expensive. So I said, it's her birthday. I could Make a sacrifice. But on and all, in your personal life and in your faith walk, if things are great, if it's great in your life, listen to what I'm about to tell you. If greatness has come upon you, you recognize that to receive such a greatness, it came with much sacrifice. Amen? And I want you to write that down in your notes. That to receive such greatness, it comes with much sacrifice. It took me getting in front of the computer. It took me calling best friends. It took me to go back to my memory lane and say, what does she like when she walked by the wall? And what does she say that I wrote down on my phone? And now I have to start now for next year because I can't do this again. And it's going to take work for me to give a great gift. It's going to take something out of me to wow her next year. So I got to start working at it now to prepare myself for when that day comes. Say, voila, did I do good or what? And she says, yes, what did you do to do this? And I could say I went a whole year sacrificing and, and just aiming and digging and swimming in mud to find out what you wanted. Listen, when it comes to the things of God, I promise you this, that God has greatness for his children, but don't ever think that just because God is a good God and a faithful God and an awesome God and all these different things that we can say about God, that God is not going to put you into some times of pressure, into some times of difficulty, in some times of heartache, because he really wants you to go through what you need to go to, to get what he has for you. I'm telling you that there's always some sort of sacrifice to receive his perfect greatness.
And we need to understand that things can't just come to us all the time. Because God wants to see, hey, is that love that you profess on a Sunday morning, is it just as powerful on a Monday afternoon, huh? Is that love that you profess on a Sunday night the same on a Saturday night, huh? Because it's so easy to fall in love with Jesus right now in this building around these people. But how hard is it on Friday night when all these people, this building is closed, these people are not around, and this message is not being preached? How much harder is it to love God then? I'm telling you that greatness is for you. It's found in Jesus. But don't ever think that there will not be some sort of sacrifice to receive some sort of greatness. Man. Greatness comes with such sacrifice. And it's going to be great because you recognize the sacrifice for that greatness. Your sacrifice is the key that opens up the door to greatness. But the question is, is the Lord that worth it to you? That you are willing to sacrifice the things that are of most important to you? To receive the greatness that the Lord has for you. Man, I wish you could just hear that. Is he that important? Is he that worth it to you that you are willing to sacrifice the things that are most important to you in order to receive the greatness that he has for you? If you work through the hardness, if you work through the hardship, the greatness, greatness will follow because Christ sees that you have placed him before all the things that are important to you. I love what, what Jesus says. In Luke chapter 14, verses 25, 26, and 27. Watch this. If anyone comes to me and he does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life. It's pretty harsh. He cannot be my disciple. Verse 27. For whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? Hate my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, and yes, even my own life. I can't be great, I can't be your disciple, I can't be your follower. And even if I don't take up my own cross, I can't be your follower. What is Jesus saying? When you read this passage, what Jesus is saying is this, ready? There is greatness. But greatness will not come without sacrifice. And, and I need, everyone say I need. Right. Jesus is saying this, I need to mean more to you. I need to mean more to you than your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and yes, even your own life. I need to be more than that in you. You cannot be my disciple. You cannot enter into greatness unless you bear up your own cross. I wrote down these two things, and I really mean this. And if, and if you don't agree with me, it's okay. We, we're not going to agree on everything. But one who loves other things more than God is not a Christian. Do you understand that? You're not. If you love something in your life more than God today, I'm sorry. I love you. Trust me. I want you back here next Sunday. But I have a responsibility to tell you this. You're not a Christian if you love something more than God. And I'm being very serious and honest and loving when I say that. Listen, one who says they love God but does not pick up their own cross, their cross of sacrifice and death and commitment and so on, all these things, that person is not a Christian, amen? A Christian, look what, okay, I can't believe you just said that. I'm not saying this. Jesus said it first. Jesus' own words. I'll read it again to you. Whoever does not, look at the word he uses, does not, bear up his own cross, come after me, will not be great will not be my disciple whoever does not hate father and mother and children and brothers and sisters and yes their own lives they will not be my disciples man that's harsh and Jesus says not really that harsh <clears throat> I got to be that much more important 
A Christian is one who lives in greatness because their lives are filled with scars of sacrifice and honor. Amen? That's what a Christian is. Verse 30 through 33, if you're still in Numbers, you could put your eyes on there. In Numbers 13, in verses 30 through 33, they began to mumble and grumble and complain. Oh my gosh, we can't go. They're going to kill us if we go over there. The enemies are going to kill us. And look at verse 30. Caleb quieted the people. And he said, let's go up at once and let's take this. I love that. Let's take this possession, for we are well able to overcome it. You know, Caleb the spy said that, and Moses probably looked at us, are you crazy? And Caleb says, no, I'm not. actually, yeah, I am. But let's go up at once and take what's ours. Look at 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we, we're not able to go up against these people. They're, they're stronger than us. Have you ever been there in life? You've ever faced something so strong? Come on, be honest. Let me get close to you. You, you've, you've ever been to that point where, where that sun is in your face so much that you're like, I just can't control him anymore. Uh, you've ever been to that place where your boss is just picking at you so much that you're ready to explode. They're like, oh, I, I want to say something, but I can't because they have this power. And they're just stronger than me and I can't no more. You, you've been at the place in your life where you've just given up because the enemy that stands before you is so much stronger and so much bigger than you. That the first thing that comes to your mind is, hey, let me find a way of conquering it. That's not it. The first thing that comes to your mind is, if I go, it's gonna it's, I'm going to be defeated yet again. Uh, have you ever been to that place where these people are, where they look at Caleb and they say, uh, Caleb, we're not able to go. Because these people are too much strong, man. And, and then it says this, they got so scared, verse 32 says, they left Caleb's sight. And they went to the millions of people, to the children of Israel. They said, we got to do something about this before Caleb goes over there and rouse them up. Look what they do in verse 32. It says, and they gave the children of Israel a what? A what? A discouraging word or a bad report. And they said, the land which they spied out, the land which the spies have gone to see, it devours, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. We saw giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And there were giants before us. In verses 30 through 33, Caleb, this amazing spy, says, let's go get them. Let's overtake them. And all the other leaders of Israel were scared. And their answer was, no, slow down. Pull the brakes. They're stronger than us. And they reported the news to the people that were waiting. What happened? What happened? Tell us. Tell us. Like, you haven't heard? It's not good. Enemies are there. They're going to kill us all. They've killed everyone that's walked in. It's ghetto there. You can't go in that neighborhood. And, and all these people were waiting for good news. Like, what do you mean? I, I, thought, I thought it was promised to us. I thought we were going to finally go. I'm tired of this desert. Come on. How many of you have lived your life this say, I'm tired of this this way. I don't want to live like this no more. I don't want to live in this way anymore. I don't want to deal with these circumstances no more. When is my freedom going to come? When is greatness going to finally arrive? When am I going to open up the door for blessings in my life? How much longer do I have to be surrounded by such misery, huh? And then they're waiting for good news. And instead of good news coming to them, guess what comes? Yeah, it's not going to happen. I got bad news. Look what happens here. 
It continues to read on. And as they were told the bad news, they begin to yell. The rest of the verses describe. And they begin to cry out. And they, begin, they continue to live defeated. As a people, I want you to write this in your notes, okay? We're going to have to make a decision in our lives once and for all. Here it is. Will we be great and do what is needed so that we could become great? And that's the question you have to ask yourself every time you wake up. God has called me to greatness in Christ Jesus. And if God has called me in greatness in Jesus Christ, then I need to wake up this morning and I need to recognize that I'm going to do whatever is needed for me to become great in Jesus Christ. Will you live in the greatness of God or will you live and continue to live in the excuses of your life? For example, will we live in the limits that others have set for us or we ourselves have set in our lives? Will we live in the negativity that others have spoken into us? I wrote this down and I want you to live in such a manner. Get away from people like this. Do I really need to open up the scripture and go to verses and go to passages to teach you this? Listen, I already struggle with my own doubt. I already struggle with negativity and limitations. And I don't need to surround myself with others that are going to continue to bring me down. But I need to surround myself with people that are going to say, like Caleb said, let's go. We'll overtake them. It won't be easy, but man, we're going to do it. You see, greatness is here for the church. Greatness is here for you and for me. And if Christ is in us, how can we not be great, church? How are we not walking into the greatness that he has set before us each day? If we are a Christian, we should see greatness all over us and around us. If not, there has to be something wrong with our lives. Have you ever read the story in the book of Mark where the disciples began to tell Jesus, James and John, the two brothers? They said, Lord, we want to be great in heaven. Have you ever read that story? Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. Two of them come up to him secretly. They actually even bring their mom with them because they're soft like that. And they said, Jesus, we want to be great in your kingdom. We want to do amazing things. We want to sit one at your right hand and one at your left. We want to be, listen to the word, we want to be what? Great. And Jesus listens to them. And after they're done talking, Jesus says, James, John, you want to be great, huh? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we want to be great. This is found in Mark 10, uh, verses 35 through 45. He says, okay, if you want to be great, then you have to count the cost. And Jesus says, will you be able to drink from my cup? Would you be able to do that? They're like, yeah, I will drink out of your cup right now. Pass it to me. And they didn't understand what he was saying. He says, if you want to be great, you got to count the cost." you got to live out this cost to enter into such greatness. And they're like, yes, I'm ready to count the cost. I'm ready to drink your cup. And Jesus looks at them. You can almost see that he has a smile on his face. And he says, you surely will. You surely will pay the cost to be great. And the other disciples start coming and they find out what James and John did. And they begin to get jealous. They're like, Jesus, I cannot believe what James and John did. They went behind our back and they asked to be greater than us in heaven. So Jesus sees the jealousy in the disciples' hearts, and he begins to teach them a lesson, and he says this. To be great, one needs to be a slave. One needs to be a servant to all men. That's amazing. You want to be great, then you got to be the last of every man. And, they, and then he asks, can you do that? 
Can, can you live a life of sacrifice? A, a sacrifice which brings honor. And while Jesus is discussing this with the disciples, it's almost as if he's saying this, learn from me how you could become great. Because true greatness is not a man that has come from his glory to this earth to receive an earthly throne. And I never came to receive earthly praises and honor from men. But look what Jesus tells his disciples who are jealous and want to be great. He says, but I came to serve. And I came to give my life as a ransom. And that's the answer of true greatness. You don't live for yourself. You live for a cause that is bigger than you. So this next main point is, Lord, I want to be great. And God looks at us in Scripture and says, there's giants, disciples, there's a cup. And what is he telling New Life today? There's a cost. And there's a cost to this greatness. Do you still want to be great knowing the cost? If your answer is yes, Jesus, I will be great in you, I'll take it. Then it's this. Then it's, Lord, I'll live in a sacrificial obedience from this day forward unto you. That I can live in greatness in this world, but most important, in the world to come. I'm going to get ready to close off. And as I get ready to close off, I'm going to end off with a very, very important uh, point, And I want you to write this down in your notes. When we talk about greatness, write this down in your notes. The greatness of God brings forth a greater work. Write that. God's, in God's greatness, there's a greater work. And you might be looking and saying, what in the world are you talking about? I'm going to quote Jesus, and why not quote Jesus? In John chapter 14, verse 12, I want you to see what Jesus tells his followers. He says, Most assuredly I say to you that he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. But look at the next part of this verse. And greater works than these, he will do. Because I now go to be with my father. I read John chapter 14 verse 12. And I recognize that in the greatness of Jesus Christ, there is a greater work. And I don't understand this verse when I first read it because how can the greatest man that ever lived tell his sinful followers that I am the definition of greatness, but yet you will do greater things than me. You will do greater works than me. And now I'm going to go to be with that. You see, when you look at John 14, Jesus is in the prime of his ministry. And in the prime of his ministry, he said something that struck as odd. But yet so powerful. Though I'm in my prime church. I'm going to leave now to be with my father. He tells his followers. But I'm leaving behind something for you. 
I'm leaving behind a greater work for you to do. Man. In his greatness, in the greatness of Christ Jesus, he leaves a greater work for his people because he loves them. I read John 14, 12, and it takes humility for Jesus to do this. It takes humility for Jesus in the prime of his ministry to lay it down and to turn it over to you, to me. Like, I woke up this morning and I got dressed and I drove over here and I stand up here. And I recognize that as I grab this mic and I speak into this mic and it comes out of these speakers and hopefully into your heart. I recognize what that's called right there. It should be Jesus. It is. But he should be physically the one here right now. And I should be the physical one sitting there and just learning from Jesus, his own flesh, body. But when Jesus goes to be with the Father, he does something so amazing. He says, I'm, I'm great. That would be cool if Jesus was calling us and said, you're right. I couldn't make it, but I did call you to tell you. But no, back to the point. The truth is, in his greatness, he looked at me, he looked at you. And says, I'm going to go to be with the Father. And in my greatness, I'm going to give you something. And that's a greater work than I was ever able to do. I'm calling you to do it, church. And I want to be like James, and I want to be like Peter. When they said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I want to be humble about this great call. We spoke about it last week. If we remain humble, we realize what scripture teaches us in John 15, 5. That apart from Christ, we cannot do anything. And Philippians 4, 13 says that if he is in us, through him we can do all things. So my prayer truly today is, Lord, I humbly sacrifice my life unto you. And I trust that you will open up the window of grace and shower me with your greatness. So we talk about greatness. And we could do a bunch of things to become great. People live their lives in the corporate world to move up the ladder. So they can become greater in their workplace. So that they can receive a promotion and a better office and a better view. Better pay. And many times people receive such a great honor. While at home, they lose their family. So everything seemed to be going great, but the greatest things were left behind. And their children don't even know their father. So many people live their lives to become great. That's not a bad thing. But it is when it's focused on self. When greatness is focused on me, it's a disaster. But when I want to be great for the cause of Christ, it's a recipe for success, church. 
Many people live their lives and they want to be great. And maybe we're not going to talk about the children and the family and the home life. But they forget about Christ. They forget about the greatness of salvation, the greatness of grace, and the love that Christ has poured on them. They forget the greater work where Christ says, you read these scriptures and you saw all the great things that I did, but through your life, I'm going to do even greater things. And we go on to become great in our own selves. We live our lives forgetting that the true greatness is not found in anything that I can do for self. That the true greatness is found in all the work and all that I do for Christ. Church, the greatness, this greatness is found in Jesus. And the great work that is in you is the work that you do for Jesus. I would never forget meeting with a young pastor. And I was just a youth pastor at the time. And I went to actually meet with his pastor. And he was an upcoming young youth pastor, very young, early, early 20s. And he looked at me and he said, Rigo, how's the church? How's your ministry? I was a youth pastor. I said, the youth is doing good, man. How are you doing? And he looks at me. And he begins to speak about everything. This all happens in a parking lot. And he begins to say, oh man, and, 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 and uh, just in case he listens to the podcast, he just goes off and all these things that he's doing and that he's receiving, all these things that he's placed under his belt to flash before men. And I'll never forget for 10 minutes him boasting. And those are good things. Those are not bad things. And when, I was, when he was done, I looked at him right in the eyes and I was young, I was stupid and I was ignorant and I didn't know anything much then either. And I looked right at him. And you know what my worst word is? So what is Jesus doing in your life? Because you just shared everything that you're doing. But where's Christ in all that you're saying? He started talking to me about fame and traveling the world and money. And I said, but how's Jesus affecting you? You see, because you could get so fixed on these great things that you forget about the greatest thing. The only reason why things are great in our lives is because first Christ has been great in our lives. The great things in your life are not the greater things. The greatest thing in your life is Jesus Christ. He is the definition of greatness in you. And because greatness is in you, a greater work must come out of you. What is the greater work? You go, therefore, and make disciples, watch this, of all nations. If you study the life of Christ, he kept the gospel in his circle. Because all he did for those years was train 12 men. But after he was done training those 12 men on the cross, he said, it is finished. The church will be built now. And he goes to be with the Father, and in that circle of 12 men, it blows up. And for the first time ever, the disciples and you and I do something that Jesus has never done. And he's given us the grace to do it. Are you ready? We took the gospel to the ends of the earth for Jesus Christ. What is that? That's the greater work. That the ends of the earth are 
are hearing the gospel of the greatness of Jesus Christ. Church, here it is at the end. If you are a Christian, walk in his greatness. Walk in it. It's not going to come easy because there's giants and enemies in the land. But are you like Caleb? Let's go attack. Or are you like the other ones? No, let's not. They're going to kill us. Listen, it's never going to come easy. If you're going to do it, that point that I mentioned second was very important. There is some sort of sacrifice that God has called you to go through to receive that greatness that he has placed before you. How many of you are saying, Lord, I'm willing to sacrifice so that I can enter into the greatness of Jesus Christ once and for all? If that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to close off in prayer. And we're going to believe as we pray that, Lord, I know there's greatness on the other side. I know there's greatness that awaits me. Lord, many times I complain and I ache because of the struggle. I go on in my life day after day, Lord, and I don't want to sacrifice. Where I wake up and I know I should be in your word or in your presence. When I walk down the street, I know I should talk to that person about Jesus. When I receive a paycheck and I know I should give you that paycheck back or Lord, when my wife might have gotten me upset and I know you're telling me to love her and to serve her anyways. There are so many areas in my life that I know you've talked to me. And you say, Rigo, if you want to receive such greatness, you there needs to be much sacrifice. If you want that greater work to process, I'll take you through it and you're going to achieve those greater works. It won't come easy. It's going to be a form of sacrifice. But nonetheless, my promises, they're yes, they're amen. My promise will remain. Greatness will still be there. So Lord, I raise my hand before you. And Lord, I open my heart before you. And I say, Lord, I want to be great. I want to feel great. I want to look great. I want to be great. I want to do great. Not for my own self. But for a call that is greater. I want to do it for you. I want to do it for your kingdom. I want to do the greater works of Jesus Christ. So Lord, give me the strength to sacrifice. Give me the courage to lay down. Give me the courage to not give up when things don't seem easy. Let me recognize that I was made marvelously by your hands. Give me the strength to know that you are my high priest that intercedes on my behalf. And I could at any time, like the scripture we read, enter into that throne of grace as often as I need. Give me the strength to remember that. Give me the strength to remember that bit by bit, you know my every part. And I don't need to worry about what tomorrow brings. 
For if you clothe the lilies in the field and you feed the birds of the air, how much more will you not take care of your son? So Lord, let me not worry. Make me great because I find greatness in you. And because your greatness is in me, let me do the greater work for the cause of Christ. I thank you. And I pray that new life would not be a mediocre church. That the people that sit in this chair would not be average Christians. That the people that are here today would be filled with greatness. And that they recognize who you are in them and who they are before you. Thank you for your greatness. Thank you for the greater work. I love you. We praise you. We lay it down. In Jesus' name. And together as a church we say, Amen. Amen. Give God some praise. Very good.